What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and this week we are back with episode 76, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC on ESPN Plus 17 card headline by Yair Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens. This card features 12 fights that will be aired entirely on ESPN Plus, with the prelims starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, with 7 fights on the prelims, and the main card starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, with 5 fights on the main card. So, with that being said, we are going to dive right into analyzing, predicting, and discussing the betting odds for all 12 of these matchups. But remember that we are in Mexico City for this event. The elevation is around uh, 7,400 feet, which is going to be a big factor in all these fights. So we're going to be theorizing uh, whose cardio is going to drop off and which fighter it will be more prepared. And this is going to be a little more of a speculative podcast because we've seen fighters gas out at that Mexico City altitude before. So we're going to be looking at people's social medias and see when they got to Mexico City, see who uh, really put the work in for this camp because when you're fighting at that altitude you really have to do put a lot of extra effort into your fight camp to be prepared for that altitude and your cardio so with that being said we are going to start things off with the first fight of the evening in the lightweight division where we have claudio poilus who is eight and two taking on marcos mariano who is six and five the opening betting line for this one was Poilus, the favorite at minus 215, Mariano, the plus 165 dog. Right now we are seeing Poilus minus 300, Mariano plus 250. So a lot more action coming in on Claudio Poilus' way. And I agree with the action. And uh, Mariano made his UFC debut last fight versus Lana Venata. He uh, looked pretty bad on tape headed into that one. Looked pretty bad in that fight. He was taken down. Uh, he was held down. He looked like he had really no idea how to get back up to his feet. And then uh, was got stuck on bottom and eventually got Kamura'd for a finish. Kamura is not a very uh, common submission in the UFC. And if you're getting caught with it, you're probably not the highest level grappler. And... Mariano is actually in the UFC as a favor for Anderson Silva. This guy trains with Silva for a long time, and when Silva was fighting back on that uh, that Australia card, he said that he wanted to get his boy Mariano a contract as well. So Mariano does not deserve to be in the UFC at all. Uh, on the feet, he has some decent kicks. He came out throwing some pretty heavy kicks versus Venata in uh, that first round, but besides the kicks, he really has nothing that, that threatens uh, any fighter, let alone Poilus in this matchup. Poilus hasn't been so active over the past few years his last fight was that come from behind knee bar victory versus uh felipe silva he was taking a beating in that fight he got dropped multiple times the referee was on his way to stopping the fight it looked like a, a complete beatdown that he was about to get knocked out but he still uh went for that knee bar he went in the half guard and was able to get the submission it was just an incredible come from behind victory and uh, Poilus really showed what he was made of. He showed how good his grappling was. He won round one versus Silva. He was pulling guard a lot, looking for submissions, uh, can hit offensive wrestling takedowns. So uh, the game plan in this one is simple. It's going to be Poilus looking to get the takedown, looking to pull guard, and looking to submit Mariano on the ground. And uh, 
as long as Mariano does not land a head kick knockout or something along the way in the first minute or two of the fight, I think Puelas gets the takedown, dominates him on the ground, and gets the first round submission. So I honestly think that there was value on Puelas' money line where the uh, line came out at, and there still might be some value on his money line. I think he'd be a good parlay piece or maybe even look to bet some submission props in this fight. So uh, I think Puelas wins this one pretty comfortably, and uh, he's going to be my pick. The next fight takes place in the women's bantamweight division. We have Sajara Eubanks, who is 4-3, taking on Betch Kohea, who is 10-1. The opening betting line for this one was Eubanks, the favorite, at minus 230. Kohea, the plus 170 dog. Eubanks is now minus 265, with Kohea at plus 225. So more action coming in on Eubanks as the favorite. And I see why people came in on her. Uh, Eubanks is the, the younger fighter. I think she probably has more momentum now. And she should have some advantages in this fight. But where the line is at now, I'm going to go ahead and say it's a dog or pass. Uh, I don't think I would bet Sajara more than 2-1 to one in this spot. So uh, there's actually some value on Kohea at that plus 225. And I think Kohea is a little underrated. Uh, you know, she's kind of a, a meme-like fighter. She's uh, amongst the, the fans. She's known for her, her weird personality, weird looks, weird dances after the fight. Of course, her, uh, her epic failure versus um, Rousey a few years back. But she's actually uh, underrated. In that last fight versus Aldana, she came to fight. She, she was getting outboxed in round one and actually made it a, a, in mid-fight adjustment and started winning round two and three of that fight she started coming forward uh saying uh, i don't care about aldana's uh, straight punches i'm just gonna march forward and land a harder punch of my own and that's what happened she won round two and was looking good in round three she uh, went for a bit of a desperate takedown which aldana easily reversed and armbarred her for the finish um so Kohei was looking good. She could have been on her way to winning a decision in that one, but she made a dumb mistake and got submitted. Uh, Eubanks, in her last fight, she had a very close fight with Aspen Ladd. I thought she won round one of the fight. She had some good strikes at the end of round one. Uh, kind of dropped um, Ladd at the end of round one in that one. Got taken down in round two. Got pretty much dominated in mount. Got her back taken. Got ground and pounded in round three. And then round uh or excuse me round two she got uh, mounted and ground and pounded but in round three it was a complete back and forth striking battle these two just traded punches for five minutes straight and uh, i gave eubanks that round too so i thought it should have been a draw i thought she uh she earned the draw on that one but the, the judges gave it to lad understandable um but i, I thought eubanks had the draw on that one uh, but Eubanks' takedowns, I don't really think they're that good. I mean, she, she has landed some takedowns, and she has outgrappled some uh, decent women like Roxanne Martafari. She she outgrappled Rox pretty handedly in that fight, uh, and that was impressive. And she definitely has been making big improvements in her boxing, has Eubanks too. But I don't know. She she just isn't really too polished in any one area of MMA for her to be a minus 265 favorite. I do think that she uh, has good aggression. She should be... Uh, land in strikes on the feet versus Kohea but if the fight stays standing on the feet for a long amount of time I think the advantage will actually go to Kohea you saw the adjustments Kohea made it uh, or made versus uh, Aldana in her last fight and I think that Aldana is a much better striker than Eubank so if this fight stays standing for long periods of time I think Kohea will actually find out a way to start winning the exchanges and take over the fight on the feet but 
if Eubanks chases the takedowns, if she sets up some good shots with her wrestling, I think she should get Kohei down and she should be able to outgrapple Kohei on the ground. But it's going to be close. Uh, I think that uh, Kohei still has a little bit left in the tank. She's not totally a shot fighter yet. And I think Eubanks is uh, maybe even getting a little overrated in this spot. So I th I'm going to pick Eubanks to win via decision. But uh, it's going to be a pass situation for me. And it could even be a live bet situation on Kohea if she's looking good, maybe stuffing a few shots because she can come back and win fights like she almost did last fight. So uh, the pick is going to be Eubanks by decision, but dog a pass. The next fight takes place in the light heavyweight division. We have Vincius Moreira, who is 9-3, taking on Paul Craig, who is 11-4. The opening betting line for this one was... Craig, the minus 160 favorite, Marrera, plus 120 underdog. Right now, we are seeing the line flip to Marrera, minus 125, Craig, plus 105. So, more action coming in on the underdog. I'm going to disagree with this line movement in this one because I think Marrera is just a, a terrible fighter. Now, Paul Craig is, is not much better. They're both very sloppy. They're both really submission or bust. They both kind of desperately go for takedowns. Neither of them have very good striking defense on the feet. And both of them actually got knocked out by Alonzo Menafield in their last fight. Both of them went for some... Actually, I'm sorry. Marrera got knocked out by Anders in his last fight. Got knocked out by... Uh, Menafield before that so 0-2 start to Moreira's career both losses coming by way of pretty brutal knockout especially his last one his last knockout took years off of his life um, by the hands of Eric Anders in that one so uh, Craig also looked pretty bad in that last fight I mean he was he was doing good versus Menafield. He was clinching up Menafield. He was uh, staying competitive, was avoiding that power shot then threw a stupid spinning back kick and got knocked out right away so uh, Craig uh, kind of desperately looks for those takedowns. He'll pull guard. He actually, I'd say, has the better offensive wrestling of the two, but it, it's not good. It's not reliable. I don't think that he'll go out here and blast Marrera down to the ground and get top position easily. I see it being a very ugly exchange where both guys are looking to get the fight to the floor and it ends up in some weird type of scramble situation. Maybe Craig ends up on top, but uh, th the longer the fight goes, the more it favors Craig. We've seen Craig come back in round three multiple times, pulling off uh, triangle chokes over and Zeshiku and Ankalaev uh, in his most recent fight. So he, he will never quit. He'll take a beating and still stay in there in round three. And I'm just really unimpressed with uh, Marrera's grappling. He fought John Allen on the contender series had him in a lot of bad spots he had him in a deep arm bar he maybe took his back and eventually he did submit him with a pretty sloppy triangle choke but he's just not very dominant on the ground at all and for a guy with no striking defense no striking offense whatsoever uh his grappling isn't even that good so on the feet in this one i think craig will be coming forward he'll be thrown with more volume and i think craig will actually be the better striker because Marrera's defense is just non-existent and if Craig throws in the feet he should land and then on the ground in this one I think Marrera might have an early advantage he might put Craig in some bad spots but Craig will will stay tough he won't get submitted he will come back in rounds two and three and he will win the fight so uh, I don't know how Craig could do it he could do it in a lot of different ways I think that maybe these two guys uh, are very ill prepared for the altitude which I think they are I think both of them are coming in fight week and for the biggest guys in the car 
card with not good gas tanks to start with. It seems like a recipe for disaster that neither of these guys have prepared for the altitude. Although I have read that Craig has been sleeping in a hyperbolic chamber for the past eight weeks to prepare himself for this uh, for this fight at altitude. So. Um, it's a really uh, tough fight to call, but I would never, ever pay favorite money on Vincius Moreira. I would take any able-bodied light heavyweight in the roster to beat uh, Moreira at plus money, which Craig currently is. So uh, Craig at plus money is worth a one-unit play, in my opinion. If you're really confident in him uh, and you want to go heavier, I, I don't knock the play because I think Craig is the better fighter. He has definitely has the more heart of the two. I think he should be the have the better cardio in this one, should be the better striker, and possibly will even end up in top of the grappling exchanges. So I think a lot of advantages go towards Craig in this one. Uh, besides a first-round submission uh, by Marrera where Craig makes a, a bonehead mistake, which he does often, uh, besides that for Marrera, I don't see him winning the fight. So the pick is going to be uh, Craig to get it done by, let's go with second-round ground-and-pound TKO. The next fight takes place in the flyweight division. We have Sergio Pettis, who is 17 and 5, taking on Tyson Nam, who is 18, 9, and 1. The opening betting line for this one was Pettis minus 265, Nam plus 185. Right now we are seeing Pettis minus 345, Nam plus 285. So I'm gonna disagree with the line movement in this one. I think this line is way too uh, in favor of Pettis. I think this is a much closer matchup. Uh, to start things off, I've just never been impressed with Sergio Pettis. Uh, you know, the younger brother of Anthony has a, just really very few similarities to his brother. He doesn't throw too much flashy striking stuff. He doesn't really have good submissions off the ground. Uh, I'm just, I guess he's got some decent striking technique. Uh, he does have decent grappling abilities, but I'm just, as I said, n never impressed with Pettis, especially coming off of his last fight against Font. He moved up to 35, thinking the flyweight division was on its way out, and just got thoroughly beat by uh, Font in that one, got hit with a, a ton of straight punches, got out-jabbed that entire fight, and was actually taken down by Font a few times. But that was really just an example of... Uh, a weight class uh, disparity in that one. He was giving up a lot of pounds to Font, and he got dominated because of it. Uh, and before that, he had a close fight with uh, Form uh, Formiga, which which he lost because he got his back taken a lot and just couldn't deal with the grappling of Formiga. Before that, though, he picked up a split decision victory over Benavidez. Hurt Benavidez in round one with some right hands and was able to stuff takedowns and win uh, the scorecards in that one. One adv big advantage I would give to Sergio Pettis in this fight is that he has fought at altitude before. He fought Brandon Marino uh, five rounds back in 2017 in Mexico. Mexico City, but which which is interesting, but because Pettis is not coming early for this fight now, I don't know if he came early for the last fight and decided not to this fight or what the deal is, but he's fought here before and he's still not showing up early to adjust to the altitude. So interesting situation, but Nam is also not coming in early for the altitude. So we could see either one of these guys gas out pretty early in the fight. But the way the fight goes, I think it's going to be a striking battle. I think both of them are going to stand on the feet and they're going to exchange. And I don't think either one of them gets knocked out. I think it should be a, a decision a fight. I think it's minus 300 to go to the decision right now, and which is kind of weird considering the fact that I said both of these guys could gas out. But I should mention a few notes on Nam because he is making his UFC debut. He's an orthodox fighter. He's been fighting over uh, in... Uh, 
uh, Fight Nights Global, which is a, a tough Russian promotion with some really good competition. And he's picked up some nice wins, some knockout wins over in FNG, uh, most notably over uh, former UFC title challenger Ali Bagautinov. He was getting outstruck in that fight, having trouble with the pressure and the striking of Bagautinov, but eventually was able to land a flush head kick and knock Bagautinov out cold in the third round, silence the Russian crowd. And then he did the same thing in the next fight. He took on another Russian, uh, Rizvan uh, Abuev, and he knocked him out with an overhand right in round one of that fight. So the dude's got massive power in his hands. He's got decent takedown defense. He's got some good head kicks. He's got solid boxing fundamentals. And uh, I've really seen a few weaknesses from Nam. And the fight he lost versus uh, Zagas uh, Zumagulov, uh, he was... It was a really close striking battle. It was a five-round fight. He showed good cardio in that fight. He was hard to take down, and he was slightly outstruck by Zumagulov in that fight. But uh, Zumagulov, a high-level Russian flyweight, man, he, he's facing really stiff competition, and he's picking up some wins and even some knockout wins over these guys. So I've been impressed with him. He fought the five rounds uh, in his last fight versus uh, Miki back in July, and uh Pettis hasn't fought in a while since he took that L to Fon. I think that might have even back, been back earlier this year. Uh, yeah, all the way back in 2018. So nine-month layoff for Pettis. Had to figure some things out, drop back down to flyweight. And I think this will be a close fight. I think that um, Pettis is the deserving favorite. He should be around minus 200 in this one. But I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, put a value unit on Nam at plus 290. Maybe throw some prop stabs on his knockout line at plus 550. Because for a fight that I expect to be a close striking battle, there's no way that, that Nam should be plus 290. I think that the Nam should maybe be plus 150, 170. So more, I'm more than happy to... to Put the bet on Nam because I think there's great value on his line, and maybe I'm falling a little bit in love with with the value, and, and uh, I'm thinking that uh, Nam has a better shot than he does. But I'm gonna go ahead and pick him to win. I'm gonna pick him to land that knockout shot on Sergio Pettis somewhere along the line of these 15 minutes, and uh, that's gonna be my pick. It's a bit outlandish. I think it's a uh, plus 550 right now for uh, Nam by TKO, but. Uh, I've l really liked what I've seen from Nam. I've been unimpressed with Pettis lately, and uh, I'm going to pick Nam to pull off the big upset. The next fight takes place in the women's strawweight division. We have Angela Hill, who is 9-7, taking on Ariane Carnalasoli, who is 12-1. The opening betting line for this one was Carnalasoli, minus 150, Angela Hill, plus 110. Right now, we are seeing the line flip to Angela Hill, minus 150 to Carnell Soli at plus 130 and rightfully so I mean I don't know who the hell opened up that line as Carnell Soli as the favorite it's going to be a, a little bit of a tongue twister saying Carnell Soli over and over again but I'll do my best so if you listen to the podcast before, you know I'm a big fan of Angela Hill. Uh, I don't know why exactly. Uh, you know She has a very uh, fan-friendly style. She always comes out there and puts on exciting fights. And uh, she's a cool girl on social media. And that's you know I guess that explains why I like her. But uh, I guess I kind of always pick in her favor too. I mean, I must have picked her in like five straight fights in a row. I picked her against Marcos. I picked her against Shannon. I thought she actually won the fight versus Shannon last, uh, in her last uh, one She's been super active, too. I think this is her fourth fight in 2018. She lost to Marcos, and then she came back with that win over Escobar, and then she lost to Shannon, and now she's back in here against Carnell Soli. So 
Hill is really improving a lot fight to fight. She's she's not making big leaps and bounds for in her technique for uh, in in between each fights, but she's getting that that in ring experience from just being super active. And I think that she's going to continue to improve throughout her career. And uh, you know if you. Uh, She's a very popular fighter, but I'll just go over a few of her, her strengths real quick. She's got good kickboxing, good output. She's very well-versed in the clinch. She's trained in Muay Thai. She can throw good knees and elbows in the clinch. She can she can go the full 15 minutes as well. She's done it time and time again. She's had good output. She looked good in round three versus Shannon last fight. And she uh, came down to Mexico City pretty early to prepare for this one. Uh, I'm not quite sure about Carnell Soli, but I will figure that figure that one out for you uh, right now. Um, so Carnell Soli is making her UFC debut in this one, and uh, she she looked okay on tape, but she looked kind of just like a woman who marches forward, throws punches against low level competition, and beats them that way. Uh, she, in her last fight against uh, Souza, she came out right away, rocked Souza with a right hand, but after that she threw like a 30 40 punch combination and like all of it missed like she, uh soza was just uh covering up against the fence and letting the punches deflect off her arms so uh cardinal slowly got a little uh you know a little antsy thinking that she hurt her opponent and tried to finish her right away but was unsuccessful and the fight actually went on for a few more uh rounds before eventually Cardinal Soli landed a nice front kick, hurt her really bad in round three and got the, the finish. So it was a nice finish in round three. And uh, I just haven't been impressed with what I've seen from Carlos Soli. Her defense doesn't look very good. Uh, she reg she relies on high guarding a lot in the clinch or um, in the, the striking exchanges. And if she does that against Hill, Hill's going to grab that clinch against her and fire off three knees and a couple elbows to the face and another big weakness i've seen from carnal soli is that she drops her hands uh when she's coming out of the clinch and that's going to be bad news angela hill is going to be throwing head kicks and elbows her way and i really just see this fight as being a, a levels to this uh to the fight game hill has fought extremely high level competition she's fought some of the best women in the ufc uh and she she's held her own she went to the decision versus draw she had a competitive fight with her uh, and she has has had trouble with uh good grapplers like marcos marcos took her down kept uh kept her in side control and eventually got the submission on her and she if you look at her record it's not the most un most impressive you know nine and seven but when you realize the the high level competition that she's fought, she's picked up some good wins over Yoder and Miraz along the way. And I thought she, like I said, I thought she should have won her last fight against Shannon, but it was a close decision nonetheless. I, I see this one being a striking battle, and I see Hill being uh, the much more experienced fighter. I, I think that she has the better output. I think she picks her shots a little better. She'll be more accurate in this striking battle, and. We're going to see uh, the weaknesses of Carnell Soli play out because I don't think that she's fought anybody too good, uh, certainly no one at the level of Angela Hill. And I would be pretty impressed to see Carnell Soli come out here and pick up a, a, a good victory in her debut against Hill, uh, a well-established uh, veteran like Hill. I just don't see it happening. So uh, I, I think that Hill wins this fight via 29-28 decision, and it should be a pretty exciting, striking matchup. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division where we have Marco Pollo Reyes who is 8 and 6 taking on Kyle Nelson who is 12 and 3. The opening betting line for this one was a pick'em at minus 120 for both fighters and now we are seeing 
Nelson minus 125 to Reyes at plus 105. So there is two-way action coming in on this fight. The early action came in on Pollo Reyes, but once the limits were lifted, uh, that action came back in on Nelson's way, pushing him back to the favorites. So uh, it's a very close matchup in this one. We got Pollo Reyes dropping down to 145 pounds for, I believe, the first time in his career. Has struggled at lightweight in, the, in his past couple of fights. He lost three of his last four fights by knockout. And he's decided to drop down to 45 to try to switch things up. And I think it's a decent move. He's not the biggest uh, 55er. And things just were not going right for him at lightweight and it's kind of because of style i mean his style is to come out there and brawl in round one try to knock you out or get knocked out and he got taken down by demir hazdovich in the first round got uh almost finished in the first round but uh eventually lasted to the second round got taken down again by a double leg just couldn't escape bottom looked gassed out after round one and got ground and pound finished in that one so Reyes tends to be that first round knockout or bust. He really does not have much besides that. Got knocked out by Drew Dober in his last fight. Dober, not really the most powerful uh, striker, but uh, he touched the chin of Reyes and put him out. Now, getting over to Nelson, he made his short notice UFC debut against Carlos Diego Ferreira. Had some initial success rocking uh, Ferreira in that fight, but eventually got taken down at the end of the round. And. Uh, taken down in round two again and smashed the ground and pound and eventually got finished similar to Reyes in that last fight. So both of these guys have struggled with the, the, the takedowns and the grappling of their opponents in the, in the recent fights. Uh, Reyes being Hadzovic taking them down and pounding him out on the ground. And Nelson, both of his fights, actually, he, he struggled with the grappling. He when he took on Matt Sales last fight, he got outstruck in round one of that fight. He came back in round two, hit his own takedown, and uh, was eventually took the back of Sales and won round two. It looked like he was on his way to win in round three, but uh, he was gassed out. He couldn't get takedowns in round three. He got his takedown reversed. He, he got mounted and arm triangled for the finish by Sales in that one. So I just think he gassed out in that third round, didn't have anything left, and he got finished. But uh, when it comes down to this matchup, I think I think uh, Reyes will be trying to knock uh, him out in round one like he always does. And Nelson w might might oblige him. He came out and traded punches right away with uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira, and he might do that here versus Reyes. But in my opinion, if he does that versus Reyes, he will give Reyes his best chance at winning the fight. Besides that first round knockout, I really do not see... Uh, many paths to victory for Reyes. I think that Nelson will be coming out here looking to get the takedown right away. And with what I saw uh, from Reyes' takedown defense versus Hodjevic is that he really doesn't have much at all. So if Nelson chases the takedown, I think he gets it. I think he outgrapples Reyes. And I think he eventually gets the submission in the second or third round in this one. But if Nelson tries to uh, strike in this one, tries to make it competitive on the feet, I think he eventually loses that battle, eventually gets caught with a power shot, and then probably gets knocked out by Reyes. So in my opinion, this one comes down to whether Reyes can stuff the takedowns or not. I do not think he will be able to. I think uh, Nelson takes him down, holds him down, gets that body triangle, sucks all the air out of uh, Reyes. Reyes gasses out in round two, gets taken down, and gets submitted in round two. I'm going to go with a rear naked choke victory in round two for Nelson in this one. Uh, where the betting line is at now, though, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. 
it's hard to, to lay that chalk on, on Nelson because he is unpredictable. He's not very proven in the UFC. He doesn't even have a win in the UFC yet. I do like Kyle Nelson's submission line. I got in on that at plus 800. It was, it opened up plus 880 earlier in the day, and it's already down to plus 700. So the action is coming in on that prop. I think it's a good prop, and I think it actually has a good chance at hitting, uh, as you heard in my official predictions. So the pick is going to be Nelson to get it done by submission. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We, we have Jose Alberto Quinones, who is 7-1, taking on Carlos Joaquin, who is 10-4-2. The opening betting line for this one was Quinones, the minus 245 favorite, to Joaquin at plus 175. Right now, we are seeing Quinones, minus 140, to Joaquin at plus 120. So, more action coming in on Joaquin's way. And I could be totally butchering this guy's last name. Uh, his his I thought his last name in his last fight was Quiros, but uh, that would get really confusing with Quinones and Quiros. So we'll keep calling him Huachin. Um, so Huachin looked decent on the uh, on the regional scene. He picked up a, de- a couple of nice knockouts. It looked like he threw power on the feet, but in his UFC debut, I believe it was a short notice fight versus uh, Hayoni Barcelos. He, he was really just dominated in that fight. He, he looked game in round one. It looked like he, he wasn't scared of Barcelos. It looked like he was uh, fine traded on the feet. He lost round one, but it was competitive. Um, he got uh, kind of awkwardly dropped by a punch and a headbutt in round two. He got smashed with ground and pound. He couldn't get off his back. He defended a few chokes, but eventually was mounted in ground and pound finished for like three or four minutes straight. Eventually got mercifully stopped by the referee in round two. Quinones also lost his last fight in round two via submission to Nathaniel Wood. Uh, Quinones is a very tall, long fighter. He doesn't have a very good defense on the feet. He kind of has that tall man's defense where he pulls his chin straight back up in the air. Uh, but he has decent boxing. He throws some, a lot of feints on the feet. He can hit his own offensive takedowns, can hit top control, has decent jujitsu. But his striking is just a little too mechanical for me. He He's predictable. He keeps that chin up in the air. And I think on the feet uh, versus Huachin, he will be in danger. I think that uh, the striking exchanges should go go in favor of Huachin as the fight goes on Uh, because Huachin just throws power. He has good aggression. He throws with more power. Even though Quinona probably has a little bit better technique, I think Huachin will be the better striker uh, in this Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup. Uh, but getting down to the grappling aspect of things, I think that Quinones would be wise to hit the takedown early to try to uh, hold Huachin down and try to get the submission because we did not see good defensive grappling from Huachin versus Barcelos. Now, it was against a very high-level opponent versus Barcelos, so I would not rely too heavily on Quinones dominating Huachin on the ground. Uh, so in the betting aspect of things, it's going to be a pass for me. I'm going to pick Quinones to win the fight because Quinones is the more tested in the UFC. He's picked up the victories in the UFC before, and he is training at altitude with uh, Marco Pollo Reyes and Brandon Marino for this camp. Uh, those guys are training down in, in Mexico pretty hard for this one. They're all similar weight to one another, and uh, I'm sure that they're all going to be razor sharp prepared because 
because they've been training with one another for this one. So uh, I think Quinones has a little more going for him in this one. Would not be totally shocked to see uh, Huachin get the knockout in this one, but I think Quinones uh, mixes up the, the takedowns in this one and is able to uh, either get a submission or win a decision uh, via dominating the grappling exchanges. So the pick is going to be Quinones to get it done by decision. Moving on to the main card portion of the podcast. Now, I did make a mistake earlier in the podcast. I said that there were six fights in the prelims and six on the main card. There are actually seven prelims and five on the main card. So this is the first fight on the main card in the featherweight division. We have Martin Bravo, who is 11-2, taking on Steven Peterson, who is 17-9. The opening betting line for this one was a pick'em at minus 120 for both fighters. Right now, we are seeing a pick'em at minus 110 for both fighters. So, some early action came in on both of these guys. Not really much action on the fight at all. Looking at the lines for these two, I'd say this is the least action coming in on all the fights total. And rightfully so, because... Uh, neither of these guys are very high level they actually match up pretty evenly they're both kind of grinders who like pushing you against the cage maybe getting uh, the occasional back take or takedown but uh and then i'm gonna go ahead and say that i favor bravo in this matchup because he should be the better striker peterson's striking at range is just not very good he doesn't have good offense he has really bad defense he kind of just willingly eats punches he doesn't check leg kicks he kind of relies on his good chin to get into that clinch range to try to hit takedowns maybe get a back take but even when he gets the takedowns and gets that back take he's not dominant he he got a back take on caceres he didn't really look close to finishing any type of choke he got takedowns on pena but he wasn't able to do much uh you know, I've just been really unimpressed with Steven Peterson and his 1-3 record in the UFC shows it. Now, Bravo has also not looked so hot in the UFC. He, I think he won the Ultimate Fighter versus uh, Poilus a few years back. And then he got knocked out in 30 seconds versus Bandanay. And then he lost that split decision to Caceres in his last fight as well. But that was a really close fight with Caceres. He was uh, landing some good strikes in that fight. He was uh, he actually did get dropped by left hand uh, by Caceres. and uh, but he was pressing the pace. He had good cardio. He was uh, pressuring in round three. He was trying to hit takedowns, but uh, he was just uh, wasn't dominant enough with the grappling, and he was just getting uh, outstruck at range. He was very bloody, getting lit up with straight punches, and both of these guys were were, were are extremely prone to bleeding so uh it's going to be a weird type of fight it's going to be one where they're both jockeying for position trying to get takedowns it's going to be up against the cage a lot of clinch striking a lot uh, it really comes down to maybe who can get the first takedown who can get their back taken who gets the first cut because the judges are gonna are gonna weigh those those cuts heavily when a, one fighter when a round's close and one fighter has a face all bloody and the other fighter doesn't who are you going to give that round two especially with an inexperienced uh, commission like we're probably going to have over here in mexico so it's a really close fight it's hard to pick i gotta lean with the, the mexican and bravo he's got the hometown advantage uh and he's definitely the better striker at range and i just have not seen anything good from peterson besides the occasional takedown the occasional back take but even when he gets them he's not dominant with them he doesn't threaten submissions he doesn't do damage and i just think that bravo can do a little more damage in this one make a m more lasting impression in the judge's mind and i think that uh bravo gets this one done by decision 
The next fight takes place in the women's bantamweight division. We have Irina Aldana, who is 10-5, taking on Vanessa Mello, who is also 10-5. The opening betting line for this one was Aldana, the favorite, at minus 475 to Mello at plus 325. Right now, we are seeing Aldana minus 535 to Mello at plus 420. So, massive favorite for Aldana in this one, and... Right off the bat, it's way too high. It's You can't be betting women's MMA at minus 500, especially on a girl like Aldana. And uh, initially, a few fights ago, I was really impressed with Aldana. She came off that Pudalova victory. I was super high on her. Thought she had really good boxing. But that's really the only thing that she does well is, is straight punches. And she is very predictable on the feet. She keeps her hands right by her chin, kind of like Grasso, comes from the same camp. And she throws straight punches right down the middle. Maybe she'll throw a 1-2-3 combo, end it with a hook. But other than that, that she doesn't really have anything. She maybe throws the occasional leg kick. She doesn't look for takedowns. She doesn't look to clinch much. And she doesn't mix up the looks that she gives her opponents too much. And that's why a seasoned veteran like Kohea was able to figure her out a little bit and was able to start winning these striking exchanges as the fight stayed on the feet for long periods of time. So Aldana is nowhere near worthy of being minus 500 in this fight. Although I am picking her to win, I do think she should be a pretty comfortable favorite. I guess minus 400 will be a little more... Uh, accurate but i mean i i could be over exaggerating because minus 400 says you have an 85 or an 80 percent chance at winning minus 535 hat means you have a 84 percent chance of winning so i mean i i could be overstating this a little bit because her chances are in the 80 percent range of winning this fight uh, because Mello, i've just been really unimpressed with Mello so far uh, not really sure why she's getting this shot in the ufc but um She's really slow and plodding on the feet. She throws slow offensive punches. She doesn't have much head movement or defense. And she's going to get absolutely lit up like a Christmas tree at the striking range of this fight. She doesn't really do good in the clinch. She got tied up in the clinch versus Marais a lot when they fought. She got taken down by a very sloppy takedown. She didn't have good get-ups. She didn't have much uh, ability to, to escape. Uh, she has hit the occasional offensive takedown. You know, I'm not even going to act like I know that much about her because I saw her fight versus Marais. I saw her fight versus Trinidad. I saw her lose to Solvi Samanese, and that, that was enough. I, I realized that she does not have what it takes to win this fight. Uh, most of her recent fights have been at, uh, or most of her career has been at 125 pounds. She moved up to 35 pounds in her last fight, picked up a decision over Finley, and has now taken on Aldana in another Bantamweight fight in this one. But she's going to be undersized. She's going to be giving up a few inches of reach to Aldana. Aldana is going to be th smashing her with straight punches down the middle and you know, besides some weird takedown uh, and t submission from Mello or some major improvements that Mello has made in the past two, uh, two months or some major decline that Aldana has hit in the past few months, uh, I see Aldana winning this one clearly. Now, Aldana did kind of give away her last fight. I think that she probably at this point in her career is the better fighter than Pennington, but she just wasn't nearly as effective as she could have been in that fight. She struggled to find a range in round one. She got hit with a decent amount of punches versus Pennington. She got clinched up a lot. She she did good stuff in takedowns, uh, but she was taken down off of a, a caught kick at one point in, their, in round three of that fight. So... 
if this fight goes to the ground, or well, start, starting things off, if Melo tries to take Aldana down, I think Aldana's takedown defense is good enough to avoid it. I think uh, Aldana has some crafty submissions of her own on the ground that she could possibly submit Melo with. And on the feet, I think this one should be a huge advantage to Aldana. So maybe Aldana is deserving of being minus 500. Would I throw her in a parlay? Maybe. Would I better straight? Certainly not. But uh, Aldana should win the fight pretty, pretty clearly. Uh, I don't see Melo having anything to uh, to compete with Aldon in this one, but uh, it's going to be a pass from the betting window. No value on either side, I'd say. Uh, maybe you can throw Aldana in a parlay. Maybe you can bet on Aldana by inside the distance, maybe by uh, TKO or submission at some point, but there's not much value on this fight. I'm picking Aldana to win by second round knockout. The next fight takes place in the flyweight division. We have Askar Askarov, who is 10-0, taking on Brandon Marino, who is 15-5. The opening betting line for this one was Askarov, the minus 175 favorite to Marino at plus 135. Right now, we are seeing Askarov minus 165 to Marino at plus 145. Really, really intriguing matchup in this one. So grateful that the flyweight division is back. Uh, happy to see Askar Askarov making his UFC debut in this one and happy to see Brandon Marino get back in the UFC after his uh, brief absence when they were getting rid of the flyweight division. But uh, I'll start things off with Marino because he had a, a very uh, initial success in his UFC career. He picked up some very nice submission wins over Smolka and Benoit. Uh, then he, he kind of fell off a little bit. He got uh, beaten by uh, Pettis in their fight in Mexico City two years ago. I believe he came back with a very nice win over Dustin Ortiz where he dropped him with a head kick and then finished him off with a rear naked choke in round two of that fight. Uh, actually, that was before the Pettis fight. So his most two recent UFC fights, he lost to Pettis by decision and he lost to Pantoja by decision. Pantoja, he got uh, outstruck in that feet pretty bad. He got outgraveled. He got taken down, his back taken. He really just couldn't get anything going and was outstruck thoroughly by um, Pantoja that night. Uh, his his only MMA fight since then has been against uh, Mikael Perez back in LFA in June, and he did get the fourth round finish in that one. He did look uh, decent, but I don't know. I saw some things in that fight that, that I did not like. I, he got taken down a few times by Perez. He looked a little bit better on the feet. He uh, Marino in the UFC before was had big explosions of offense where he would throw big looping overhands or big spinning back kicks or big explosions of combinations and that that stuff is reckless. He he could have gotten countered and, and dropped a few times if he was fighting uh, real good strikers and that's really what happened versus Pantoja. He fought the more technical striker and he he paid for it. He got outboxed in that fight um, very handedly. But seeing Marino getting taken down by Perez just wasn't what I want to see. He does have good scrambling abilities. He's hard to submit. He's hard to hold down. But Askarov is uh, a really elite level grappler. I've been super impressed with Askarov so far. He also can be taken down sometimes, but it's because he accepts bottom. He is really good off his back. He'll even pull guards sometimes if he has to. But uh, he he will he will let you take him down because he'll it's it's much less energy to get taken down 
and to sweep you than it is to get, try to get your own takedown and to keep top position. So he sometimes he'll say, "Hey, oh, go ahead, let go ahead, take me down." Then he he'll sweep you, he'll end up at top, and then all of a sudden you're losing the grappling exchanges. And Askarov also has really sneaky good boxing. He doesn't use it that often. He kind of relies on his grappling and his submissions. But when he wants to keep the fight on the feet, he has really good boxing. He has good counter-striking uh, counter ability. And if this one stays on the feet for long periods of time, I think Askarov will start to show that boxing. I think he'll start to counter-punch Marino, land hard punches, possibly even drop Marino with some strikes in this one. But I see this fight uh, destined to end up on the floor. I think Askarov will be the one hitting the offensive takedowns. I think Marino will probably try to avoid the takedowns at all costs because he probably knows that Askarov's the better grappler. So Askarov will be pressing that takedown. I think he gets it because if Perez could get the takedowns on Marino, I think Askarov gets them. And Marino, he gives up his back sometimes. He, he he does have some decent scrambles on the ground, but Askarov is just going to be one step ahead, man. He's uh, beaten some elite-level competition over in ACB. He looked really good doing so. His grappling has really impressed me. And I've been I've been hearing some good things amongst the, the sharp players in the MMA community who are really impressed with Askarov as well in this one. So I'm kind of shocked at where Askarov's price is sitting at this one, minus 165. I thought he would be over minus 2 to 1 by now, uh, but that action is coming back on Marino. Marino has the more... Um, more name value. I don't know. I don't know what people are seeing in Marino. Maybe they think he's able to scramble and stuff shots and land that big power shot on the feet and, and hurt Askarov. I don't see it though. I, I see Askarov getting the takedowns. I see him uh, out grappling Marino. I think Marino's sub defense and his scrambling ability is good enough to get uh, to the, the decision in this one. And I think we're actually going to get some good odds on Askarov by decision because all 10 of Askarov's fights have gone. The, have ended inside the distance by Askarov getting that finish. So uh, Askarov by decision currently sits at plus 235. I think that's very good value, uh, as my man Gugabe pointed out earlier in the week. So don't have a play locked in on uh, Askarov yet, although I am strongly considering uh, maybe a two to three unit money line play on Askarov. Uh, I'm very confident in him in this matchup. Really excited to see him make this debut. It should be an incredible scramble filled uh um, flyweight matchup really looking forward to it but i'm going to pick askarov to get it done by decision the next fight is the co-main event of the evening in the women's strawweight division we have carla esparza who is 14 and 6 taking on alexa grasso who is 11 and 2 the opening betting line for this one was grasso the minus 135 favorite to esparza at minus 105 right now we are seeing Grasso, minus 125 to Esparza at plus 105. So there is two-way action coming in on this fight. I'd say with a little more in Grasso's way. And it's a really close fight. I see why the two-way action is coming in on this one. You have an old veteran, Esparza, who's the better grappler, who's got really good wrestling, one of the best grapplers in the division. And we got Alexa Grasso, who is uh, the up-and-coming uh, Mexican prospect. I mean, she's she's not really a prospect at this point in her career. She's well into her UFC career and tenure, but she's still improving rapidly, and she's going to be the better striker in this matchup. She trains at the same camp of Aldana. The two of them have a lot of tendencies, keeping those uh, hands glued to their chin, throwing a lot of straight punches. Um, but we'll start things off talking about Grasso and just how great that she looked in her last fight. And it was against Karolina Kovalkiewicz, who is definitely on the decline and probably her way out of the sport. 
but still, nonetheless, very nice win in that fight versus uh, Carolina. She was punching in combination. Her straight punches look more crisp than ever. She was using the clinch against KK. Now, the, uh, the clinch is where Carolina usually does her best work. But when Carolina looked to clinch versus Grasso, Grasso was the one doing the damage in the clinch, landing those hard knees, elbows on the break, and winning those clinch situations. So... Carolina was desperately looking for the clinch and desperately looking for a takedown maybe, but Grasso wasn't letting her get anywhere close. She thoroughly outstruck Carolina that entire fight, had good cardio all three rounds, high output all three rounds, especially that thir- that first round, she maybe landed like 50 strikes or something, something. So really impressive performance from Grasso, but take it with a grain of salt because Carolina is on her way out. And I think that uh, a lot of other women in the strawweight division could have put on that same performance versus Carolina. I mean, no disrespect to Carolina. She was at one point a a great fighter, but I think she's lost three in a row now. Uh, One of them by knockout, Andrade, and then two decisions in a row to uh, Watterson and uh, Grasso in this one. So she's definitely on her way out, and that win does not mean as much as Carla's most recent win. Carla's most recent win was super impressive. A super high-level grappling battle between uh, Virna Drandudoba and Carla Esparza. It was back and forth. Both of them, I think, are black belts on the ground. There was a lot of sweeps, a lot of uh, great momentum changes in that one. I, I, it was just such an incredible fight. I really enjoyed myself uh, re-watching that one earlier today, but uh, she was a uh, Carla was able to hit takedowns on Jane Dradova. She was able to keep top position. She was able to reverse bottom position. So, And that was against a very skilled black belt in Jane Dradova. So there's no question that Esparza is the better grappler of the two. And you got to think that if she was able to take a talented grappler like Jane Dradova down, and she's notoriously had good wrestling throughout her entire career, you you got to think that she would take Grasso down as well. Now, that's not the only thing. I'm not just totally MMA mathing it here because if you watch the way the Grasso defends takedowns, she doesn't do the best job. Versus Tatiana Suarez, she was she would dig an underhook for a second or get a wizard and then she would punch a lot. She was throwing elbows and punches to the head and right when she would punch and, and lose uh, focus of the wrestling, that's when Suarez would complete the takedown. And that's vital mistakes that you, you can't make. When you're defending a takedown, you have to focus strictly on wrestling. You have to think underhooks and wizards and overhooks and try to get, uh, avoid that takedown by any means. You should not be thinking about landing a couple rabbit punches in the clinch, which aren't going to mean anything. Because you look at the uh, the dynamic of that fight. Sure, Grasso landed 20, 30 little short shots uh, in the clinch when she was getting taken down, but she also got tapped out two minutes and 30 seconds into that fight. So uh, Grasso has showed some, uh, some weakness in the wrestling. She got taken down by... Uh, Random Marcos when they fought, although she did win that fight, she got taken down four times in that fight, and a lot of them were off of caught kicks, which uh, that's another thing that that Esparza is good at. She's really good at catching kicks. Uh, in the first thirty seconds of the Jane Dradova fight, she caught a kick and swept her uh, super efficiently. She did the technique with complete perfection, got Ginger Doba on the ground right away without using any energy in a takedown. So I think that on the feet, Esparza will will sit back. She will not look to engage too much on the feet because Esparza has pretty sneaky good boxing too. Don't forget that she dropped uh, Esparza she dropped Claudia Gedalia in one of her most recent fights, and she's definitely been making improvements in her boxing along her career. So when it's on the feet, you're going to see Grasso press in the action. She will be the better striker. She will have the better boxing of the two, but 
Esparza is going to be looking for that opening, looking for that opening to shoot that double leg or catch a kick and put Grasso on her back. And I really think that she'll do so. Even though Grasso is improving at leaps and bounds, I'd say that most of that improvement is in her striking. And although her cardio looked good last fight versus Carolina, that was a completely striking battle. I, there's no way that uh, Grasso's takedown or her cardio is going to look that uh, that good in the rounds two and three when there's wrestling involved, when there's a lot of clinching, when there's takedowns, and she has to get up from takedowns. It's going to be a long, grueling fight that completely favors Esparza. Now, what Grasso does have going for her is that this fight is in Mexico. She's in the co-main event of the evening. She's a pretty Mexican girl. They're going to be in Mexico. She's going to have massive, massive support from the crowd behind her. And even though I think Esparza will win this fight according to the official MMA criteria, I am fully expecting Alexa Grasso to get this decision in Mexico. Because it's not all speculation either. It's not saying, oh, they're just going to easily give it to her. When Esparza is winning the fights, it takes a very astute uh, MMA eye to realize that she's winning. She focuses on top position. She does not use much ground and pound. She does not go for many submissions. So it's often hard to tell that Esparza is winning the fight. She'll get to a top position and she'll kind of stall out on top and win the round. So if maybe Esparza is on top for three or four minutes in, in a round and Grasso is, is striking for one minute and lands a few strikes, we might see that round go to Grasso. So this is a very hard fight to bet on because I think Esparza is the right side. I really like that plus money next to her name, but uh, it's hard laying that chalk on her because I think that she probably loses a split decision in this fight. Although she's, uh, I'd say, the better overall mixed martial artist, and I think that she will get takedowns, she should win rounds, and she should win a 29-28 decision, uh, I would not be completely surprised at all to see the decision go the other way. So uh, maybe we can... Uh, bet pre-fight bet Carla and then if Carla wins round one you might get a, a good underdog price at Grasso after round one maybe hedge out a little bit I'd say that that would be the best bet because if Carla doesn't get takedowns in round one I don't think that she can win Actually, you know, I mean, she could get the takedowns in the later rounds as well, too. So, I mean, I just think Esparza has many different ways to win this fight. I think that uh, the takedowns and the clinch will be big for her. And uh, we might see Grasso continue to make those improvements. She might have great takedown defense. She might outstrike Esparza, avoid the takedowns, and win this fight striking more dominantly than I think. But... I'm going to lean with Esparza. I'm going to, uh, I'm still going to officially pick her to win the decision because I'm hoping, I'm putting some hope in the MMA judges uh, down in, in Mexico City this weekend. But, you know, there's always some fuckery in the air when you're having an international fight week. So uh, the pick is going to be Esparza to get it done by decision, and I'm expecting this one to be a really good coming event. The next fight is the main event of the evening. It's taking place in the featherweight division. We have Yair Rodriguez, who is 11-2, taking on Jeremy Stevens, who is 28-16. The opening betting line for this one was Yair Rodriguez is the minus 165 favorite to Stevens at plus 125. Right now, we are seeing Stevens minus 115, Yair Rodriguez minus 105. So a slight line flip in this one. There's definitely been more action coming in on Jeremy Stevens' way. 
the early action came in on Stevens, and since then there really hasn't been too much action. He was plus 125, then got all the way down to plus uh, 100, then minus 110, and since he's been at minus 110 over the past week, he, there has been or the past month actually, there's been very little action coming in on Jeremy Stevens. So we might see some more action come in uh, closer to fight night, uh, but this one is kind of a, a head scratcher because another fight where you got a Mexican in the main event and Rodriguez, and you got to think the scorecards are. are going to go his way if they go that uh, to the full five rounds, but I don't think this fight goes the full five rounds. I think Jeremy Stevens gets the knockout in this one, and it really, all it took was watching their their one most recent fight. Now, I know a lot about these guys. Stevens has been in the UFC for, uh, I want to say, close to 15 years or something like that. Rodriguez came in the UFC as a flashy kicker, a lot of spinning kicks and f jumping head kicks, and picked up some really highlight reel knockouts. But ever since then, he's kind of had a little bit of a drop-off. He lost to... Uh, Edgar, in a dominant fashion, got taken down and smashed with ground and pound that entire fight. And then his last fight with Korean Zombie, man, what a, a weird fight. In the 25th anniversary of the UFC, Korean Zombie is winning the fight three rounds to one, probably on his way to winning the fourth round. And in the last one second of the fight, Yair Rodriguez lands the most obscure up elbow I've ever seen and knocks korean zombie out cold in the very last second of the fight he was losing up until that very last second landed the elbow and won the fight so it was an insane moment it quite frankly might be the craziest moment in ufc history just due to the circumstances just due to the fact it was the last possible second it was like if you're down uh, you're losing a baseball game in the bottom of the ninth inning on the 3-2 count. It's the last possible pitch, and you hit the walk-off home run. It, it, it's That's really what it was, and it was an incredible moment. But don't let that distract you from the fact that Yair Rodriguez lost like 20 minutes of that 25-minute fight. He did not really look too good in that fight, and Korean Zombie gave him the fight that he wanted. Korean Zombie had an absolutely atrocious game plan going into that fight and his game plan in that fight was to stand still at range at kicking range with rodriguez where rodriguez is a longer fighter has the better kicking game and then he would explode with maybe five punch combos and then he'd sit sit still he'd reload and then he'd unload in kind of like a yo romero style fashion and I don't understand why you would stand completely still against a guy who's known for his kicks, who's known for his flashy head kicks. Luckily, Korean Zombie didn't get uh, knocked out in that one, but he almost deserved to lose the fight for how terrible his game plan was. And his fight IQ rushing in there like that with five seconds left and getting knocked out, he totally deserved to lose that fight. Rodriguez... The mental fortitude that he must have had to be getting his ass kicked like that, uh, losing most of the, most of that fight, and still have the willpower to to be landing that knockout blow in the last ten seconds of the fight. That is something to to um, give him credit for because it was extremely impressive. But when Rodriguez was when. They were standing right in front of each other. I'm telling you, for five minutes of this fight, the, 20, the fight was lasted 25 minutes long, but if you added up all the time they stood completely still, it probably would have equaled over five minutes. It was so, so weird. And in those times, that's when Rodriguez was winning. He, when, when 
Korean Zombie was standing completely still, Rodriguez was the one outstriking him. When Korean Zombie was moving forward, throwing in combination and pressuring, he was the one landing punches and outstriking Rodriguez. So if Korean Zombie would have kept up the pressure the entire fight, he would have beat Yair Rodriguez five rounds to nothing. If he would have had the right game plan and the right uh, fight IQ that night, he could have easily won that fight. Instead, the IQ wasn't on point. He got knocked out in the last second. So Jeremy Stevens' last fight was against Zabit Magomed Sharapov, one of the best backwards moving fighters in our sport and what i mean by that is most people they can't strike effectively while moving backwards they have to be pressuring you moving forward to land effectively very few fighters can actually retreat backwards and have the footwork and striking skill to strike to outstrike you while moving backwards but zabit is one of them and stevens was pressing forward him the entire time he had good pressure and Zabit was still outstriking him in the first round, uh, first two rounds. Zabit was continuing to move back and just outstriking, picking apart Stevens. Uh, eventually, Zabit got a takedown at the end of round one. He kept uh, Stevens on his back for the last two minutes of that round. He definitely won rounds two, one and two. But in round three, the pressure of Stevens started getting to Zabit a little bit. Zabit wasn't as fresh. His footwork wasn't as good. He wasn't slipping out of the ways uh, out of slipping out of the way of his many punches and all of a sudden Stevens started touching Zabi. He started hitting him with some punches and no doubt about it, Stevens won round three that fight. And it really makes you think if that fight was five rounds, Stevens might have might have gotten to him. His pressure might have worn down on Zabi, tired him out. So I see the fight going similar to that. Zabit is a tall, lanky guy, kind of like Yair. Stevens is going to be pressing forward the entire time, throwing his patent in big punches, and Rodriguez is just not going to have the striking ability to outstrike Stevens the same way Zabit was. So Stevens is going to be moving forward. He has way better pressure than uh, Korean Zombie. He doesn't have as good volume, but he has consistent pressure. He's always uh, trying to trap you in a corner, or trying to cut you, trying to cut off the cage, or trying to head you off. He he has good footwork. Stevens does, unlike Korean Zombie, who would stand still and explode, stand still and explode, stand still and explode. Stevens is going to be consistently moving, consistently trying to trap Z uh, Yair in a corner, and then look to unleash those power punches. He doesn't throw as many punches as uh, Korean Zombie does, but I think the punches that he w he does throw will land with a little more conviction than the ones that Korean Zombie were throwing and landing. So Rodriguez could come in here and uh, land that that one of those patented head kicks and rock Stevens, or he could uh, look he could look super improved and, and start moving backwards and striking better than he has before. He did take ten months off in between his last fight, so he could come out here, look super improved, and outstrike Stevens, possibly even knock him out. I think whoever wins this fight will win by knockout. But Stevens can take a fucking punch, man. He's fought some of the best featherweights and lightweights. Uh, of all time in the past uh, 10 years in his career and I really think people you'll hear people call Stevens uh, a journeyman or a gatekeeper or he says he's 15 and 50 in the UFC he has the most losses in the UFC those statistics are all a bunch of bullshit I mean 
This dude has been at the top level of the sport for over a decade. Of course he's going to have 15 and 15 losses. Of course he's going to have the most losses in the UFC because he's active, but he's still here. He's still picking up good wins. I mean, 2018, he knocked out Josh Emmett, who is 4-1 in featherweight with knockout victories over uh, Michael Johnson, over Mursad Bactic, and over Ricardo Lamas. That's an extremely good win. He knocked out Duhu Choi. He fought... Um, Zambi, he fought Aldo. I mean, he fought Edgar. He fought all the best featherweights. And if Rodriguez fought those dudes, he would lose to them all. You know, no, uh, I mean, maybe he, he could beat a, a few of the guys that Stevens has beat throughout his career. But uh, if you hear people talking some shit about Jeremy Stevens, make sure you put him in check because he's an incredible fighter. He fucking brings it every time. And this guy's had, of those 30 UFC fights, I bet you maybe three of them have been boring. He, he brings it every single time. He's had some epic fights, epic wars. This fight with Dennis Bermudez is one of the craziest back-and-forth wars. Uh, underrated fight because it happened on UFC 189. But I broke down the fight. I said that... Uh, uh, Stevens is going to be pressuring. Yair is going to be moving backwards. He's not going to, unless Yair, you know, holds his ground, sits down on some shots and tries to gain some respect and touch the chin of Jeremy, he's going to be in for a long night. He's going to be constantly backpedaling. Jeremy's not going to respect his power. He's going to walk him down and he's going to land hard punches. And I think he eventually knocks Yair Rodriguez out. And we haven't, I don't think we've seen Yair Rodriguez knocked out yet. We did see him TKO'd Dr. Stoppage uh, versus Frankie Edgar. Um, but I think for the first time we see him uh, get uh, put unconscious here. So uh, it's a bold prediction. Uh, it's, uh, I have not uh, locked in the, the bet on Jeremy Stevens yet, but uh, I probably will. Um, probably will on his money line at minus 115. Uh, Stevens has been preparing for this fight for a long time. He's been in Mexico for weeks now. I think he's really going to be uh, prepared for this fight, taking things seriously. Uh, he still looked very uh, sharp versus Zabit. That fight was five rounds. He probably would have beat Zabit that night. But uh, regardless, uh, I'm going to pick Jeremy Stevens to get the knockout. I'm going to go within the second round for for the finish in this one. So uh, that is going to do it for the entire card. Uh, in terms of bets, we got hella units on Claudio Poilus. Eight units, I think I put on on Poilus. Uh, one unit so far on Craig. One unit on Tyson Nam at plus two ninety. Um, let me go over the prices real quick. So 8.5 units on Claudio Poilus at minus 256. One unit on Paul Craig plus 104. One unit Tyson Nam plus 290 with a third of a unit on his TKO line plus 550. Uh, one entire unit on Kyle Nelson plus 800 submission. Uh, let's see what else here. I have not locked in a play on Askarov, although I'm highly considering it. Highly considering a play on Stevens and Grasso. So the top three fights are three fights I'm eyeing for bets so far. Just watching prices, and I'll eventually make my my final uh, bets uh, available on Bet MMA Tips or my Twitter at UFO underscore UFC. That is UFO underscore UFC on Twitter. You can follow me there to get all the updates on the Marshall MMA podcast. But once again, thank you all for tuning into this episode. I appreciate each and every listener. Uh, hope you all enjoyed the card this weekend, and I will. We'll see you all next week. Peace.